0: Amen. Morning, everyone. Hi. It's really good to be here. Nice to see you all as well. Um, my name's Dan, as Graham said. I guess a lot of you will know me. I've been around Oxford for about 16 years. I oh, know. Wow, indeed. I don't look that old, do I? Okay, Thanks. <laughs> Uh, it's the shirt, isn't it? It's the, I never normally wear a shirt, but special occasions. Uh, yeah, so I've been in Oxford for 16 years. I met my wife here, Erica, who's just taking our two kids out to their group, uh, Luke and Thea. Um, I'm a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> um And, yeah, it really, it's really, I have a great job, nice place to work, and good family, and just grateful for God's provision. Uh, I guess my kind of, story of knowing God was, you know, my family always, uh, my parents have been in the church for you know, forever, they were Christians, and um, but I guess it was when I was about 18 or 19, or probably 17 or 18 actually, I really f- kind of met God for myself, as you say, and I um, feel like he kind of took hold of me, changed me, discipled me, and um, yeah, turned me around from where I was going, so I'm very grateful for that. Um, I'm going to speak this morning a bit about uh, A simple gospel. So Steve last week started us off with this uh, kind of topic, a brief two-part series for the new year to just remind ourselves what what really is at the heart of um, who we are, what we believe, why we believe it. Um, And so I'm going to be carrying on from what what Steve said last week. But before I get really into what I'm going to say, a couple of people are going to come and read two passages from the Bible from me. So Gordy and Adam, if you could... Come on, help, that'd be great. Can <coughs> the microphone there? All of the song, please. Yeah, you got it.
1: Okay, Ooh. psalm 96 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Yeah. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them, let all the trees of the forest sing for joy, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth, he will come and judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness.
2: from John chapter 7, uh, beginning at verse 25. Shall I give you a moment to find it, if you're in the finding type? John chapter 7, verse 25. Okay. Now, some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is not this the man whom they are trying to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, but they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Messiah? Yet we know, sorry, yet we know where this man is from. But when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he was teaching in the temple. You know me and you know where I am from. I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true And you do not know him. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Then they tried to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many in the crowd believed him and were saying, when the Messiah comes, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering such things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple police to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little while longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will search for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend uh, intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying you will search for me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. And the scripture has said, Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some in the crowd said, This is really the prophet. Others said, This is the Messiah. But some asked, Surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? Has not the scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? So there was division in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the temple police went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked him, Why do you not arrest him? The police answered, Never has anyone spoken like this. Then the Pharisees replied, Surely you, too, have not been deceived, have you? Has any one of the authorities or of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which does not know the law, they are accursed. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Gordy, for reading. Yeah, we we,
0: Adam said it ended in a bit of a funny place where the uh, crowd get accursed, but don't worry about that. Um, so Steve last week gave us like a real powerful and clear overview of how um in in jesus death dealt with our sins his death on the cross dealt with our sins that we can be really forgiven really free um today right now even you know in this room this place we have already the, the assurance that god has looked on our case and found in our favor he's given the verdict that we're in the right um this is what Steve talked about last week. What I hope to do today is kind of just look at the good news from a different way and pick up on some of the themes that um, were in Psalm 96 and were in that passage we read from John. But above all, I want to focus on the man at the heart of the good news, on Jesus. Um, I think we really truly have a kind of have some straightforward good news, um, and it's simple, but it's not necessarily easy. It's clear, but it's it's full of richness and details. Hundreds of threads of a story that kind of get woven together into uh, make a wonderful whole. It's kind of simple enough for children, yet it will sustain a lifetime of devotion and searching. So the good news story um, has at its heart an event. Something really actually happened. Um, and this does have, I'm afraid, one unfortunate side effect. Um, we have no choice as Christians but to be historians I know, it's terrible, isn't it? Having spent most of my, yeah, sorry, most of my youth trying to escape anything that looked like writing an essay and taking refuge in equations and formulae, um, this wasn't easy for me, but it's, unfortunately, it's essential. So our faith rests on something remarkable that happened 100 generations ago. Everything we have rests on that first Easter. So with apologies to any actual, non-stereotypical historians here, it's time to dust off your tweed jacket, find your monocle, dye dye your hair grey, and let's get historical. Um, (laughs) Yeah, woo, let's do this. Um, So one reason I I love the books that we call the Gospels now is because the events that they describe are are just purely wonderful stories on one level. They're just they're set in this explosive point in history where God's people, Israel, they're back in their homeland, but really they're fragmented. The nation that they were is no more. They don't even have authority over their, you know to, to rule themselves properly. And what makes it worse is they, they can't help but compare it to the glories they once had, the, the way things were in David's time or in Solomon's time. Um, they have these regular feasts that they celebrate. Uh, three times a year, everyone has to go up to the Jerusalem to celebrate them. They have the, the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, they have the Feast of Passover, which I guess we all know pretty well. You know, they went to celebrate and commemorate how God delivered them out of Egypt. Uh, and as we read in Adam's passage, they had the feast of what they call the Tabernacles. So this is where it's set. This, um, this feast is what's going on in the background of this story. It was, it was kind of like um, a harvest festival, but without the kind of twee songs. Um, the, it, it was a celebration of God's provision. So it looked back, uh, well, it, it kind of remembered there was a point of the year where they had the in-gathering of all the crops and everything, but it also looked back over their whole history to all the ways God had provided for them. Um, so at least whenever the Jews at the time celebrated the, these festivals, at least, at least certainly for the Passover and for the Feast of Tabernacles, they were, it would be a mixture of joy and pain. <clears throat> they were glad at all that God had done in the past, glad for the kind of miraculous way he'd led them out of Egypt, glad for his m- amazing provision for them, but a deep kind of pain at the current state of things, at the way the world was for them at the moment. However, what they had, and this is what turns kind of a, uh, a good, sto- a good story into a great one they had hope they had a hope that something was going to happen to change things and this, these feasts in fact reinforced this hope and built it up and um, yeah, it made the hope, the hope get heightened one day God was going to act to make things like they were before can we have a slide Thanks. so all of John 7, it's about, yeah, that's a bottle of Coke in the, in the, in the desert. So John 7 is all about the celebrations that are going on at the the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, it starts off with Jesus, we didn't read this, but it starts off earlier in the the, the chapter with Jesus' brothers trying to force Jesus' hand, as, get him to out himself publicly, basically, so telling him to go to the feast, let people know what you're up to and what you're about. And Jesus basically says shove off, it's not my time yet, uh, I'm not going to the feast, which, which I kind of love because then he just goes anyway later on, which kind of appeals to the contrary nature in me. Um, <clears throat> but words already spread about Jesus uh, and there's this, the crowd is buzzing about uh, who he might be. Before he even gets there, they're, they're wondering in excitement and curiosity, hoping maybe who or what he might be. So the locals, that's the Judeans, they got their first look at Jesus. Jesus, was a, he was a country boy. He lived in Galilee. And um, they got their first look at him. And it says in verse 15, they were amazed at the way he spoke. They couldn't believe someone who hadn't been schooled in, uh, in Jerusalem could speak like this. They were amazed. All of them began to search the scriptures to find out what they knew, what they would expect from the Bible, uh, to see if Jesus fitted the bill. Was he, was he the one? Does, he, does, it, does it add up? Does what we see and what we hope for make sense? Not everyone was convinced, but enough people were that it kind of spooked the authorities. They were, you know, they, they sent the temple police. Adam read uh, in the story about the they had their own private police force, basically, which policed the temple. And they thin, they thought they will get our police on him. So they um, they, they got him because, partly because they knew the trouble that came with uh, a messianic. Pretender. They knew that basically, it, it happened before. And what happens is, it angers Rome, and they get mad, and that leads to a lot of blood being shed. Uh, but also because this particular Messiah had he rubbed them up the wrong way, uh, he seemed to act like he was more important than some of their traditions. He was more important than some of the things they hold most sacred, like the Sabbath. I love the way um, in that passage, Adam read they the police report back to the authorities saying, and they say, why haven't you arrested him? We sent you to arrest him. And they were like, no one's ever spoken like this. They didn't know what to do. Like he, he, uh, The way Jesus spoke uh, flummoxed them. Yeah. Um, so into this melting pot of questions and plots and police and history and hope, Jesus stands up and says in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink. Loud enough for the whole temple to hear. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. One of the key rituals that they had at the Feast of Tabernacles was this this kind of a a pouring out of water ritual. So what they used to do is they used to have a big kind of golden plated uh, jug, vase, I'm not sure, that's probably a fancy word for it, but they used to go to the pool of Siloam, which you... Read about in John chapter 9, and a couple of chapters later. He used to go collect this water, and the high priest would pour it out as a kind of a, a water offering to God. So there's all this water splashing around. And as they would do this, they would read this bit from Isaiah. It says, with, uh, Isaiah chapter 12, it says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The whole, actually, the, the festival, the name tabernacles came from the. Um, the kind of tent that they lived in when they were in uh, in the wilderness after their escape from egypt so they after coming out of egypt there was this period in israel's history where they dwelt uh, in the desert and they lived in these tabernacles or tents uh, and that, that that gave its name to the festival <coughs> while they were there one of the kind of key things that happened was god supplied water for them so this is the feast of tabernacles remembering god's provision and There's this passage in Exodus 17 where Moses strikes the rock and out of the rock comes forth water. So here in this feast, this kind of watery imagery everywhere, sloshing around, we have water here, drawn there, poured out over there. Water that reminded them of God's provision. Water which spoke of hope for rescue and salvation. When Jesus stands up and says, if anyone's thirsty... I kind of love the kind of the way he speaks into them the kind of language and the pictures that were going on at the time and he says, if anyone's thirsty, it spoke directly to their hopes for rescue, their hopes for salvation. Many of them saw immediately because of this and they says because of all the other amazing works he'd done this really was the Messiah, God's representative to lead them to victory. into all that unmet unmet expectation, into these hopes that have been long held, Jesus says, basically, I'm the one. I'm the one that can bring them to fulfillment. And I think he'd say the same today. If anyone's thirsty, if anyone's thirsty, come to him and drink. Yes, to make the metaphor plain, if anyone's longing for something, um, for change, for rescue, for help, for comfort, as we heard earlier, Longing for love, as it was prophesied, to know, longing to know that you are loved, as we heard prophetically, or longing for a, a touch from him. Jesus says, "Come, yeah. if we're longing for healing today, if you're thirsty for hearing, come to him and find it. That is thirst quenched. Yeah. That's a laughing zebra.) <clears throat> um. So one of the key ways that God's people have um, expressed their hope for the future is in this idea that God is judge. I'll, I, I will explain the laughings everywhere. It's not completely meaningless. It, I couldn't quite find the picture I looked for, but this, this seemed as good as anything else. Um, so the, One of the hope, big hope for the future was that God is judge. Um, now I, I think in our kind of day, this is an idea, the fact that God is judge, which just got like narrowed and funneled into one particular way of thinking about that. And it, it usually gets kind of cartoonized in this kind of hellfire damnation. And you know, God is judge, watch out kind of scenario. That's the kind of way the, the picture of God is judge gets funneled. And I, uh, my name actually, Daniel means God is my judge. So I was always like, oh, it's, it's a, it's a, yeah, I, quite, I quite like my name, pretty happy with it. But um, I didn't quite know what that meant, because it sounded to me not, not especially good news, or like at least not especially exciting, like God is judge, or great, hellfire, damnation, or, you know, I, you know doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't mean much to me. But I mean, there's no doubt a kind of fearsome nature to God's judgment, absolutely. We, we should not forget that, but... Here in, in the psalm that, that Gordy read for us, God's judgment seems different, right? The, the, the fields and the forests are rejoicing at the thought that God comes to judge the peoples with equity. The zebras are laughing um, <laughs> that, that God is coming. The whole of creation, sky and sand, sea and fish, fields and forests are rejoicing. They're dancing on the tables, bouncing in the terraces. I don't know. Chris Akabusi, a woogering in the streets with delight that God is coming to judge his people. This doesn't sound like the cartoon of God as judge that we're used to. But God's judgment means he's going to put things right. It means he's going to turn the tables on the oppressors. It means that all that is wrong in the world gets shown for what it is and gets dealt with. That's why it's good news that God is judge. So the hope of Israel, I think, is still our hope today. You know, we want things put right. You don't have to look very far to see things where we want God to act and bring justice. Um, it's our hope today, still. Now, of course, this putting of things to right will affect us too. It'll affect me, it'll affect you, um, all of our pride and self-centeredness and everything else get, will get laid bare, shown up for what it is. But we too will be put right. Yes. This will be kind of joyful but painful. It's, uh, but it shouldn't make us fear. I mean, as we remembered at the start, our sins have been forgiven. God has judged us to be in the right. Our, our standing is secure. We're made part of his family. But we have time here in this life to work, uh, to see God develop develop a good character and behavior which kind of fits uh, the future judgment that we know will come. So when the crowds uh, in John 7, when they said, maybe this man is the Messiah. The things that he was saying and the things that he was doing came together and they said, you know what? I think this could be the man in whom our hopes might get met. One of the things that they meant by saying he is the Messiah was that he would be the one who brings God's justice. He would be the one that would be part of putting things right. He would be the one that would show that God was king of all the earth, not Caesar. Psalm 2 talks all about this, the Messiah who would be king of the whole world, the nations will be his inheritance. And Jesus stirred it up when he said, if anyone's thirsty... If anyone's thirsty, thirsty for righteousness, thirsty for justice to come. He said elsewhere in a uh, passage that's very familiar to If anyone hungers or thirsts for righteousness, then you'll be filled. So our hopes get raised, to get a notch higher. Hopes that were already there, uh, reaching breaking point. But like most great stories, there's usually a twist in the tale. Before these hopes get realized, they get dashed. So the authorities eventually get their way. This time the temple police might have been too awestruck to act, but not long later, they did what they were supposed to. Jesus got arrested and he died at the hands of the Roman rulers of Judea. Exactly the kind of injustice that people were hoping he might bring an end to. And as he died hope died too um how could he be the one to bring justice if he's dead people realised at the time that their hopes had been in the wrong place on the first Good Friday it looked for all the world that Jesus was just another of a few wannabe messiahs who at the end was just no match for the enemies of their day a dead messiah was no messiah at all um it says in Luke chapter 24, which is one of my um, favorite chapters, it has a picture of the two disciples walking back from Jerusalem on their way home, having seen everything, seen Jesus die. And they had that going, we had hoped he was the one. Um, hope had died. We know what that is, the truly brilliant news about the resurrection. That when he was raised, Hope was resurrected too. The kingdom, the rule of God that Jesus had promised, was back on. Um, The project was back on track. Everything that Jesus had seemed to be, but couldn't be because he was dead, was now shown to be true after all. He was and is the one who can meet our needs and longings. He was and is the one to bring the world to rights. Paul says in his Brilliant speech in Acts 17. He he stands up in Athens and he speaks to them and he says, In the past God had overlooked ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he would judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This resurrection, put it back on. Jesus really is the Messiah to bring justice to the nations. So the resurrection of, G- of Jesus is that event that we were, have to be historians for. You know, we, our, our faith appeals to history. Without that resurrection, Good Friday, the death on the cross that G- uh, Steve spoke about last week, we couldn't celebrate it. It wouldn't be good news. But his resurrection caused everything to be seen in a new light. It's, I think it's worth stopping to consider what we say when we say talk about resurrection, I guess, uh, if you are like me, you can get a bit blase about it, <clears throat> in that it's, it's just, it's such a common parlance for us to talk about someone being raised from the dead. It, <laughs> it's just worth stopping and saying, what, what really are we saying here? You know, if I, if I said to you, oh, you know, Doris died, yeah, but she's, she's back, actually, yeah, she came back from the dead, um, yeah, it's great, yeah, it's good. Doris, she's back, um, we say it in that kind of way sometimes don't we the, the resurrection just sort of happened but um it really is a kind of it, it should make us stop in our tracks occasionally uh, sometimes we can just rejoice in it for what it is but sometimes we should stop in our tracks and go we really I mean, what is at the center of our faith is this remarkable event uh the people in the ancient world weren't stupid. Um, you know, the, when Paul told the people in Athens about resurrection, first of all, they kind of didn't quite get what he was on about. They weren't sure if he was talking about two gods or one, there's Jesus and there's Anastasis, resurrection. They were like, Is that, what's, he, what's he talking about? And then when they kind of twigged, they, they laughed him out of the, of, the, um, of, the, um, of the place. They said, this can't, you know, people, everyone knew then as well as we know now that people who die don't come back to life. It's, um, but some of them, Heard what he had to say as a kind of eyewitness to the things that had gone on. And we're like, maybe there's something in this. Why, you know, why is this guy talking like this? And the disciples had that experience. They had the kind of shocking reality that what they thought wasn't possible turned out to have happened. And, uh, the, thing, the tomb was empty. Um, so we have at the center of our faith this kind of wonderful uh, reversal of fortune, reversal of death. Uh, all wrapped up in an event that we um, will do well to remember. Um, It's it's wonderful. Um, This kind of brings us on to the the next um, point. So Jesus already, as we've seen, he kind of, he offered himself as the answer to thirst. And thirst was, in this case, you know, it wasn't just... um, a desire, I mean, it, it, it encompasses a lot of things, but it was a desire for all that God had promised. It was a desire for hopes to be fulfilled. He offered himself as the one to fulfill them. But he promises something else too. And he says, as Adam read, it said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So the crowds in the temple, they, they were kind of already asking themselves was Jesus the Messiah? Could he be? So what Jesus says is, come, believe in me. So to believe in Jesus is to join in with him. Yeah. He was starting a movement. And if you believed in him, you were identified with him. His opponents became your opponents. For us today, to to believe in him, I guess, first of all, says we have to believe in, belie- believing in him means believing first of all in the resurrection. Yeah. Because Without that, he cannot have been who he claimed he was. But Jesus' promise is for us. who believe that streams of living water will flow from within us. John kind of spells this out for us. He says, this, this is all about the Holy Spirit. Um, I think it's, ju- it's just been Christmas, hasn't it? I guess we haven't quite forgotten. It's just been Christmas. Um, and uh, at Christmas, we're really used to celebrating Emmanuel. God is with us and um, he's here God is with us it's great news um, and for Israel God with us was the kind of number one hope that was it right from the beginning God's people knew that without his presence going with them it wasn't worth going at all that's what we read in in Exodus they say if, if your presence won't go with us then why why go uh, they, kind of, they got used to God living with them. First of all, with the with the tabernacle where he, he kind of dwelt, the presence of God was there and manifest. And then uh, in the, in, after Solomon built the temple, we have Jesus uh, God's spirit come to dwell in it. You see the, the pillar of cloud and fire that used to be with them in the wilderness comes and rests on the temple as it's inaugurated. Yeah. This, the, having God's presence at the heart of the people was what Israel knew to be their number one hope and that. That was what was missing from them ever since they'd gone into exile. Uh, <clears throat> into exile, they'd had the temple was destroyed; the symbol of God's presence among them was gone. Um, but here is Jesus, promising a new kind of river, yeah. picking up on language that you find in the Book of Ezekiel and elsewhere, that God's river is coming back. The temple will be uh, God's presence again; is going to be at the centre of His people. So the promise of the Holy Spirit in us is that, is the kind of the wonderful fulfilment of that. And uh, again some maybe take it for granted sometimes but um, people knew right from the beginning they needed God's empowering presence with them. Um, The Holy Spirit in us is just that, it is God in us and with us. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us, As, as Josh said today, he's a It's him who comes alongside to help. Um, What kind of help? Steve read last week from uh, the list in Galatians, where Galatians talks through this list of sins, pride and envy and gluttony and idolatry and all these things. It's things that we've been forgiven from, set free from, but it's the Holy Spirit working in us and working with us that helps us walk free from all of this sin. It's him working in us and with us that brings out the image of God in us and brings out the fruit of his activity in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, all of these things that overflow in us when we and the Holy Spirit work together. Us being indwelled by the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of all the future hopes that we have. It's God in us. So today we have an invitation. Come and drink from Jesus. Come and drink, he says. Believe in him. And we have a promise, too, that our hopes will be met. That God's empowering presence will fill us to overflowing. I think it really is a simple good news story. It's simple, but it's hard. Uh, In Romans 10, Paul writes... If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's declaration and it's faith. It's shouting out that Jesus is Lord and believing in the heart that he's, he's been raised. It's Lordship and it's resurrection. Um, and I'm sure for some of us there are... Um, deep hopes that we harbor for our futures that currently are not met I think Jesus would say come and drink it might not always be, this thirst might not always get quenched in the way that you hope it may involve, I imagine it probably will, some dying and rising, that seems to be the way in God's kingdom but he will meet your hopes Um, it may be that just hearing that invitation to come and drink Reminds you of the thirst in your soul for more of Him. Um, sometimes it's like that with thirst. I know I, in former years, you have to, I have to say, that I, I found that I could play on the computer for so long that I realized that it had been like eight hours, I hadn't had a drink or been to the toilet or anything. It's dedication, I know. (laughs) Um, But it it sometimes takes someone, usually my mom, to say, shouldn't you have something to drink Uh, to remind me or remind us of how thirsty I am? Um, But it's, so maybe this, just hearing this again, this invitation from Jesus reminds you that you need to come and drink from him. If so, come and drink. For some, it may be like the crowds of Jesus' day, you've been kind of weighing it up and going, well... This looks good. Could it? And what does it? But what does it all mean? What does Messiah mean today? Who and what? Who is this Jesus? And, and, and maybe it's you're still in that process of weighing it up and trying to work out what it is and who it is you believe Jesus is. But today, Jesus would invite you: come, believe. If you want to, there's a straightforward way to respond to him. That's what Paul said we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts he's been raised it's straightforward yet it is hard it's only a few words to say but it's your whole life to yield to him he's a good king as we heard but he's a king nonetheless and he wants the whole of our lives to be subjected and submitted to him Uh, I guess and finally for some of us it's You know, we long for that river within, for God's empowering presence to fill us more and more. Um, Last night, I went. I had a wander down to the river. We live in Ifli, and I went down just to have a look at the river. And um, before I even got there, I could hear it. Um, There's been a lot of rain around, Uh, and before I even reached the main bit, I walked down some steps which had turned into a waterfall. Uh, It was dark. So it was only as I walked down the steps that I realised um, you know, there was before we bef- you could hear it you could you could even feel the river at some points it was flowing flow so strongly um, I, I think in churches like ours we've often used language like let's you know we want to join in God's river we want to get in God's river and I I like that language but I think today we're talking something slightly different there's a slightly different invitation that God wants to give and that's to be the ones from whom the river flows Um, it's a powerful noisy churning rushing kind of flow sometimes but it brings blessing wherever it flows that's God's promise so maybe for some of us we've settled for a trickle um, but there's a river on offer if we want it i 'm going to um, pray, and then Graham can uh, do what you see. Father, we thank you that you 're the one in whom our hopes are met. Yes. Jesus, we believe in you in the wonderful news of the resurrection, which reversed all that death seemed to have done. You overcame death, showing not only that you defeated the enemies but uh, you rescued us from a plight we didn't even realize we were stuck in. Um, Jesus, thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit, which is God in us today. I pray that you come, have your work, and do your work in us now. Um, thank you. Father, we submit to you afresh and say, God, you are our Lord. Uh, come, flow through us and use us. In Jesus' name. Amen.